typhoid, a bacterial disease commonly associated with overcrowded and unsanitary slums. So why, in the years between 1900 through to 1907, had wealthy, affluent families in New York fallen ill and in some cases die because of the typhoid fever, while they lived in the opposite conditions in which the disease thrived? All families had one common denominator, Mary Mallon, who was a cook for each of these families. So pour your cuppers, because this is Coffee and a Slice of History, Typhoid Mary. Hey up and welcome to episode 14. Ella here as usual. I hope you're all doing well. Just a quick reminder to check out the podcast Coffee page and the Instagram page for photos corresponding with the episode. I will put a link for each of these in the episode description. So without further ado, on with today's episode. Mary Mallon was born on September the 23rd, 1869, in a small northern Irish town called Cookstown. It is surmised that Mary's mother was infected with typhoid fever whilst pregnant with Mary, so it is possible that she was born with it. By the age of 15, Mary had emigrated to the United States and lived with her auntie and uncle in New York. As it was usual of single women who had emigrated, Mary found work as a domestic servant before proving she was quite handy in the kitchen and therefore became a cook for New York's wealthiest families. By 1900, she worked as a cook in Mamoranek, New York. She was there merely two weeks before the members of the household developed typhoid fever. Then, by 1901, she moved to Manhattan, where once again the family she cooked for developed fevers along with diarrhoea. After that, she worked for a lawyer and cooked for this family. However, left soon after, seven out of the eight family members in the house fell ill. Then, in June 1904, Mary moved on to another family, hired by another top lawyer, Henry Gilsey. It wasn't long before, out of a possible seven servants, four of them fell ill. Thankfully or unthankfully, dependent of which perspective you take, members of Gilsey's family didn't fall ill as the servants' quarters was a separate house to the main Gilsey family home. As soon as the illness outbreak occurred, Mary Mallon once again moved on. Moving to Tuxedo Park, she was hired by George Kessler, where two weeks after being hired, another servant, a laundry worker, was infected and taken to a medical centre, where it was determined that she had typhoid, and it was the first case in quite some time. The investigator to the case, Dr R L Wilson, came to the conclusion that this laundry worker caused the outbreak. However, he couldn't quite prove it. Unfortunately, the laundry worker died shortly after this. Then, August 1906, Mary started work with wealthy New York banker Charles Henry Warren and his family in Oyster Bay on Long Island. Mary accompanied the Warren family to their holiday rental from August the 27th until September the 3rd. Six out of the 11 people who went got typhoid fever. In Oyster Bay, at the time, this outbreak of the illness would have been very unusual. This was according to three different doctors in Oyster Bay. 
The landlord of the holiday rental was perplexed by the fact there was a typhoid outbreak, so he hired a few experts to investigate and find out what the possible source for the infection was, taking samples from water pipes, cesspools and toilets. All of these results came back negative for typhoid. Then, in late 1906, Mary was hired by yet another family. Walter Bowen lived on Park Avenue with his family, where in January 1907, their maid fell ill. Two household servants were hospitalised and the daughter of the house fell ill with typhoid fever and then subsequently died. After the Oyster Bay outbreak, George Soper, who was hired by the rental property owner as an investigator, had tried to work out why all of these wealthy families kept contracting typhoid fever even though they didn't live in unsanitary conditions. The unifying thing that this investigator found with the families affected was an Irish cook. However, he couldn't track her down all too easy as she always left nearly straight after an outbreak, along with no forwarding address so no one knew where she would be headed next. However, because of the latest outbreak on Park Avenue, Soper managed to locate Mary while the typhoid case was still active and Mary was still there as the family's cook. Soper went on to see Mary and first met her while she was in the kitchen. He accused her, in his words, as diplomatically as possible, of causing the typhoid outbreaks and she didn't take too kindly to this as she threatened him with a carving fork. Mary subsequently refused to give any samples to Soper, so he resorted to collecting a five-year history of Mary's employment and he found that eight families Mary was hired to as a cook contracted typhoid fever. After this, Soper decided that he would find Mary's boyfriend and where he lived to arrange a gathering there. He took with him Dr Raymond Hubler and tried to get Mary to give them samples of urine and stools for analysis. However, this proved to be a waste of time as Mary once again refused, as she thought that typhoid fever was everywhere and the only reason the outbreaks had occurred was because food and water was contaminated. Once again refusing to give a sample, Soper decided to notify the Health Department of New York City, who sent out investigators who realised that Mary was a carrier of typhoid. Under the sections of 1169 and 1170 of the Greater New York Charter, Mary, who was seen as a public health threat, was arrested. She had been forced into an ambulance by five separate policemen and a doctor called Josephine Baker had to sit on Mary during the struggle just to restrain her. Mary Mallon was then taken to Willard Parker Hospital where she was first restrained and then forced to give samples and for the first four days of being hospital she was being denied the use of the bathroom on her own. Within the results of the stools she was forced to give they found that there were huge numbers of typhoid bacteria in them which led doctors to presume that the infection centre was in her gallbladder. When questioned about hygiene, Mary confessed 
that she barely ever washed her hands. In March 1907, Mary was sentenced to quarantine on the North Brother Island. She gave stool and urine samples at least three times a week whilst in this quarantine. Officials involved made the suggestion of taking out her gallbladder as this is where they thought the infection epicentre was. However, Mary refused because she thought different. She thought that her gallbladder did not carry any disease. It may have also been because during this period of time, gallbladder removal was seen as dangerous and many people had died from the procedure previously. Mary received lots of media attention after Soper, the original investigator, wrote an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. She then gained the nickname Typhoid Mary because of this article and all the immediate attention combined. Mary absolutely hated the nickname of Typhoid Mary. However, not all medical professionals agreed that quarantining Mary would be a good idea. Both Charles V. Chaplin and Milton J. Rosenau agreed that Mary should be taught how to treat her condition so that she wouldn't transmit it to others as she was believed to be asymptomatic. This meant that she didn't show or produce any symptoms of typhoid. This education on how to treat her condition would include how she prepares food as Soper investigated. He found she didn't clean her hands enough or rigorously. He also wondered how it would transmit from her hands to the food as he believed the intense heat from cooking would kill off the germs and bacteria. However, her signature dish in the kitchen was peach ice cream. This included having frozen peaches diced and chopped, mixed into and frozen into the ice cream. Mary hated being in quarantine and wrote a letter to her lawyer to say she felt like a guinea pig as she had to still give samples three times a week as well as being refused treatment for an eye appointment with an optician as one of her eyes was paralysed and she had to have it bandaged on a night time. As time went on, Mary was told the typhoid was in different places each time and took corresponding medications with these. First, she was informed that it was in her intestinal tract, then in her bowel muscles and then in her gallbladder. As well as this, different medications such as urotropin for three months, which have ruined her kidneys, and then she changed to brewer's yeast. All this time, Mary believed she never was a carrier of typhoid and got the help of a close friend to take many of her own samples and independently, away from the doctors and hospital, send them off for testing. All of these samples she sent came back as negative for typhoid. After nearly three years in quarantine, it was deemed that carriers should not be kept in isolation and that Mary would be allowed to be free if she stopped working as a cook as well as taking steps to try and not spread typhoid to other people. She agreed and was subsequently released on February the 19th, 1910. Upon her release, Mary started as a laundry worker, which paid far less than what she was used to. It paid $20 a month instead of $50 a month, which she would have got as a cook. 
After several unsuccessful years, she started cooking again under false surnames, one of them being Brown. She then took on jobs as a cook against the conditions she agreed upon her quarantine release. In 1915, Mary started working at the Sloan Hospital for Women in New York City and it wasn't long before 25 people were infected and two of them died. The head of the hospital called Soper once again to help with an investigation into the outbreak and it didn't take long for him to come to the realisation that it was once again Mary Mallon herself. He gathered this information from other servants' descriptions of Mary as well as her handwriting. Mary fled the hospital. However, the police found her and arrested her where she was put back into quarantine on North Brother Island on March 27th, 1915. Not much is known about Mary during her second quarantine. However, she remained at North Brother for 23 years and more. She was given a private single-storey cottage to live in. Mary spent the rest of her life in quarantine on the North Brother Island. She always had fairly good health and stayed quite active throughout her life until she unfortunately suffered a stroke in 1932 where she was then taken and kept in hospital where she never fully recovered and most of her body remained paralysed because of this stroke. Then, on November the 11th, 1938, Mary Mallon died of pneumonia, aged 69. She was buried at St Raymond Cemetery in the Bronx. Mary Mallon's case was the first recorded where an asymptomatic carrier had been discovered and isolated by force. There were many ethical issues which were raised, but further research estimated that Mary potentially contaminated at least 122 people. Unfortunately, the health technology at the time didn't have a wholly definitive solution to having typhoid and there were no antibiotics that could fight the infection. And due to this, unfortunately, a talented cook was forced against her will to stay in quarantine for the majority of her life for a disease that she did not intend to either catch or spread.